0: According to his promise, we are looking for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. Therefore, beloved, since you look for these things, be diligent to be found by him in peace, spotless and blameless, and grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Our growth comes through the scriptures. We are in Philippians chapter 1. We are looking, though, at verses 12 and following. We've moved on to a new section. Verses 12 and following, we have uh, this middle portion now. We started off after the uh, salutation in verses 1 and 2, and then we found a memory verse that uh, really serves as a good uh, section heading for uh, verses 3 through 11. It was, he who began a good work in you will perfect it until the day of Christ Jesus. For verses 12 through 18, it centers on the expression, my circumstances have turned out for the greater progress of the gospel. And that's what we started a week ago and and, uh, tried to continue best as we could Wednesday night. And we're going to continue again here this morning. My circumstances have turned out. And what a joy it is to be a part of the sovereignty of God and to be a part of His plan, whereby circumstances are not accidents, whereby circumstances are what He designed. And if things just turned out that way, well, how about that? Uh, what a good thing they just turned out that way. It wasn't what I expected. All right. And yet, when it turns out that way, it's what God planned. And if, if we're surprised, it's because, uh, that's, that's how God does it. <laughs> all right. Because uh, we don 't know the end from the beginning as God does, and it 's His blessing to be able to unfold these things the way that he does, and so we 're going to be centering on that again here this morning. The third portion of chapter one centers on uh, in verses nineteen through thirty to live as Christ and to die as gain and that 's that perspective of, of eternality versus temporality that that uh, helps us to to observe, of course. The fact that uh, this present suffering is not worthy to be compared to the eternal weight of glory. The things that are to come are are so much greater than what we have here and now. All right, so uh, for this morning, though, I want you to know, brethren, that my circumstances have turned out, rather, for the greater progress of the gospel, so that my imprisonment in the cause of Christ has become well-known throughout or manifested throughout the whole praetorian guard and to everyone else. And that most of the brethren trusting in the Lord because of my imprisonment have far more courage to speak the word of God without fear. And so these are the circumstances that uh, someone might allow themselves to cause them to become depressed or you look at it with divine viewpoint and you don't get depressed. You get excited because you realize, wow, it's better that it's this way instead of any other way. That this is, uh, this is what glorifies Christ. And so we can be excited about the circumstances. All right, my circumstances have turned out. Before we begin, let's take a moment for silent prayer and ask the Father to bless our time of study, to set aside our distractions, shall we pray? <coughs> Almighty Father, we do thank you for this morning and the truth of your word and the blessing we have to assemble together. And Father, I pray for our study of your truth this morning. These expressions that we look at, that we would understand them, um, not only how they're translated into English, but what uh, they actually mean in the original Greek and what the application is for us. Father, we might not lose the impact or significance of what's being said. Father, And I thank you that you are the one that reveals yourself. You are a communicator. And you choose to manifest your truth in such a way that we are left without excuse. And I pray that we would be humble before that, that we would embrace it, that we would acknowledge it for what it is. And uh, Father, thank you for being so faithful. I thank you in Christ's name. Amen. All right. So as uh, we started, we had point one in this outline, Paul's occasion for writing. And that's kind of a label that's assigned to the beginning of many epistles, uh, particularly Pauline epistles, but any epistle. Uh, after a salutation, typically an author will explain why he's writing. And there, there'll be an occasion for writing very early in most, uh, in most correspondence. <clears throat> and so in this case, Paul's occasion for writing is a personal testimony to Romans 8.28. All things work together for good, and they do work together for good. They may not be good, but they work together for good. And so when you see God's purpose in it and what is accomplished, what the results are, then you can celebrate His circumstances have turned out that they have become something they were not before. We have Ginnemi as a verb where something becomes something. And so the things according to him, his circumstances have come, have become something that they were not before. And it's the greater rather than the lesser, the greater progress of the gospel. The circumstances are the things with respect to him. The me things, you can think of them as the me things, all right? The according to me things, kata plus the accusative is according to. (coughs) And sometimes we we do paint a slight nuance to the idea of according to, but um, we do so within the boundaries of usage, within the boundaries of language, how the Greek uh, preposition itself is used. Kata plus the accusative does mean according to. So the things according to me. So what does it mean to be according to me? Well, that's again the nuance of what we talk about with circumstances. Anything you experience, the uh, the experiences, the circumstances, the things, the stuff. All right. And uh, here it's just a neuter plural ta. The things, kata eme according to me. And so those are the things that that we encounter. Our health circumstances our occupational circumstances our finances our relationships our anything with respect to our personal life are the things associated with us and it's an idiom that he uses here he uses in ephesians six twenty one. he uses in colossians 4 7 and in every circumstance paul is pointing out that he is informing readers about what he's going through And he says in Ephesians and Colossians, he says, I can't go into it now, but when Tychicus arrives, he will share with you my circumstances, and he will encourage you as to my circumstances. And it's interesting uh, to take these three places where the idiom is found and recognize that in all three cases, Paul's business is also their business. He makes it their business. When he invites them to pray for him, when he invites them to share in the things that are his things, he invites them to pray on his behalf. And so we have, I think, the blessings of, of these descriptions that help us to identify uh, what we have in the body of Christ when we get to share one another's burdens, when we get to bear one another's burdens and thus fulfill the law of Christ. <clears throat> and he says... I want you to know, brethren, that my circumstances have turned out for the greater progress of the gospel. And the fun thing about progress is that uh, this is by design. God is the author, and I kind of got a little funny with this, but God is the true designer of the progressive movement. And in a true sense of what progressive really means, all right? I think the current generation of progressives is anything but, and they're they're sadly mislabeled. Uh, but be that as it may. Real progress, the idea of advancing, the idea of gaining new ground, of achieving things, that's what God has designed. God is, is a God of work. God is a God of achievement and accomplishment. God will finish his work and then look back upon it and evaluate it and see that it is good, see that it is very good, and then see what he has done and then build upon what he has done with additional works than these. And I think, the blessings we have in Scripture is to observe that God is uh, progressing from an alpha to an omega moment, that God has a plan that has a, a purpose and a destiny and a focus in the eternal glorification of His Son, and that biblical Christianity gives us a uh, a linear purpose and a, and, a, and a destiny that I don't think any other religion does or, or worldviews do, those that particularly th- see things as just endless or see things as, as, as uh, circular and say well they're just cycles and they come and go and they come again and, and they're never ending because they're just eternally repeating cycles Okay, as in Hinduism and Buddhism and all these other world views all right? that's not God's view God is progressing. And the church age is building upon what preceded with Israel and their stewardship, with the Gentiles and their stewardship, with the angels and their stewardship. And we have progressions. We're headed for the personal stewardship of Jesus Christ in the fullness of time. We have a thousand generations in front of us in the new heavens and on the new earth. There is a destiny that is coming up. And so progress is significant. And we should have progress. As a church, we should have progress. Individually, we should have progress. A young pastor growing up has progress, and his flock gets to see that progress. In uh, 1 Timothy 4.15, it says, take pains with these things, be absorbed in them, so that your progress will be evident to all. Okay? And what I love about these concepts is that they are linked together at least twice, in, uh, in this message here this morning because we hit 1 Timothy 4.15 when we're examining aspects of progress, but we hit it again when we're studying aspects of evidence, of manifest, that his progress would be manifest to all. And that's why we ran out of time on Wednesday, where I ran out of time, so I ran out of voice. And I really want to stress it hard. In fact, I wouldn't mind spending you know weeks and a long period of time on this because I think it's, it's fundamental to how God operates is the display. God puts things on display. He doesn't have to, but He chooses to because that's His nature. God is a, is a communicator. God is a God of achievement. He's also a God that displays what He has achieved so others can appreciate what He's achieved. Others can share in the recognition of what He has achieved. I don't know if you ever thought of it in these terms or not, but the fact that humanity is a resolution to the angelic conflict tells you something. God is righteous in all that he does. And he could just squash Satan's rebellion and cast him all in the lake of fire and be done with it. Perfectly righteously, perfectly holy in every way. But he has chosen to create humanity. And he has chosen to demonstrate his righteousness to those fallen angels to the elect angels. In, in, in so many respects, the plan of God, as revealed in Scripture, how humanity resolves angelity is uh, really, it testifies to who God is and how He operates. So we want to be clear on this. And we want to operate on the same basis. It's not just being righteous in God's sight, it's being righteous in the sight of God and men. That we want to commend our conscience in the sight of, of Everyone that we live our lives on display. And so it's uh, more than just simply uh, avoiding evil. How about avoiding every appearance of evil as well? That's a part of our expectation. God expects us to operate as He operates with these things all being on display. So we'll have some discussion there as well. In fact, I'll pull my next slide up and we'll spend the rest of this hour looking at verses pertaining to that which is manifest, that which is on display. All right, so God is the designer of progress and he wants us to progress. And then the, the malon adverb here, the rather more adverb, conveys the surprising opposite outcome. When he says that my circumstances have turned out rather or for the greater progress of the gospel. That's a contrast with what's expected. What might be expected is less progress. What might be expected is a pause. What might be expected is a, well, sorry, Lord, I can't serve you because I'm in jail. No, no excuses. Yes, he's in jail, but the Word of God is not in jail. And the ministry goes on. In fact, the ministry is thriving more than it would have been otherwise. And so there is a contrast, a surprising contrast opposite outcome to what human viewpoint might expect and that's the theme that we see in a lot of bible stories we see with uh joseph and his brothers in genesis 50 that what they intended for evil god used for good and it worked out for the deliverance of his family uh, in Esther 9 and verse 1, Haman d- designed a plan to exterminate the Jews, but it turned out for their protection and for their blessing. There was a twist, a surprisingly opposite outcome. In fact, Haman is the one that ended up being hung on his own, uh, gallows, on his own, um, stake. And then 1 Thessalonians 2-2 is maybe the most parallel to our text here this morning because it shows just the opposite outcome. With increased persecution comes increased boldness, boldness to preach the gospel, boldness to minister the word of God, not a fear, not a timidity. As Paul told Timothy, we've not been given a spirit of timidity, but we have this confidence in Christ. If the, if the conflict ratchets up, oh well, we're going to continue to serve. And if anything, true divine viewpoint will embolden you. When you see that conflict, it should encourage you to, to say, hey man, I'm on the right track. <laughs> I'm doing what the Lord wants me to do. If the adversary is not happy, I'm happy. All right. Cause I know that I'm, I'm doing what I'm supposed to be doing. I'm where I'm supposed to be. It's a good thing in, uh, in that regard. And, and if that's, if that's kind of an ornery, I don't call it ornery, it's a sanctified orneriness. All right. If it's a kind of a, 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 a spirit of okay, I'll show you kind of a thing. I think Jesus exemplified that. When I'm reading the gospels and I'm reading Jesus and his preaching and they're all out of sorts because he talks about eating his flesh. So he says, okay, and then he doubles down and he says, you're going to eat my flesh and you're going to drink my blood. How do you like me now? Okay, and, and he gets, gets more intense as the chapter develops in, uh, in the process there. So read, read John chapter 6 sometime and, and you'll see that. I think our Savior took, took that approach. <clears throat> All right. Now, when we get to verse 13, keep the order straight here because I think sometimes we read it we read it backwards. It's progress in the gospel. That's what caused Paul's imprisonment to become well-known, not the other way around. The uh, progress of the gospel is stated in verse 12. And then the result comes in verse 13. So that my imprisonment in the cause of Christ has become well-known. And it's got to be in that order. I think if we put it backwards, then we're putting the cart before the horse. And I think we're, we're confusing celebrity with the will of God. All right? Uh, and, and, and that can be a snare. In fact, our culture makes that a snare. That uh, to be well known, we got people that are famous just for being famous. And there's no reason why they're famous, other than the fact they're famous. And celebrity for celebrity's sake is, is, is not the design of God. Okay, Progress in the gospel. My circumstances have turned out for the greater progress of the gospel. So that, with the result that, okay, we have the particle hosta in the Greek, and so we have an outcome. And the outcome is caused by what causes it, not the other way around. And yet sometimes we confuse it, right? And we, so we read through this. Oh, my imprisonment in the cause of Christ has become well-known throughout the whole Praetorian Guard. Oh, so Paul became well-known and this became popular. This became a, 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 a celebrity circumstance. Paul became famous. And it was because he was famous then that the gospel made progress. Not so, Okay. Not so. That's turning it around. That's getting it backwards. Okay. And but it's common, and I think it's very human. All right. If somebody famous, uh, a celebrity or whatever, somebody famous gets saved, then we think, ooh, think about what they could do for Jesus, because they're believers now, right? And and they used to be this, and now they're this, and and they can take, they can trade on this celebrity <coughs> for being a well known athlete or a well known whatever. Movie star, well known, uh, anything. Okay? Because they had fame in, in the world. Now that they're believers, they're going to be so much better. They're going to reach people so much more. They're going to have, they're going to have a ministry in front of them so much more than, than I would ever have. Cause I'm, who am I? I'm just a nobody. I'm, I'm, a, I'm just an anonymous schmuck. Nobody, nobody ever heard of me. But look, here's a famous person. Think what they can do for Jesus. And you know what I'm talking about? Have you observed that? And it's, it's backwards. It's not many mighty, not many wise, not many strong according to the flesh. All right? It's uh, God chooses the things that are not that he might nullify the things that are. God's not there in heaven just hoping, you know, that some famous person will get saved so he can use that person. Okay? Not how he operates. In fact, usually it's just the opposite. And in this passage, it's just the opposite. The well-known fame. And, and what becomes well-known is not his imprisonment. What becomes well-known is that his chains are in Christ. That's what becomes well-known. It becomes manifest that his chains are in Christ. And that's the, uh, the true uh, object of the manifest chains, that they are in Christ. We'll talk about that in, in one of the subpoints as well. so uh it's not the other way around progress in the gospel is what caused paul's imprisonment to become well known not the other way around it was not paul's well-known imprisonment which caused progress in the gospel progress in the gospel caused his chains to be well known as chains in christ that's what this verse is saying so if you want the vocabulary we can give you the vocabulary under subpoint A, Paul's chains became manifestly in Christ. That's what this verse says. Paul's chains, desmos, singular, desmoi, plural. Paul's desmoi, chains, became, genemi. Now a genemi is a become, something that you were not before. So he had chains, but then chains became something. Paul's desmos, his chains, became manifest, phaneros, phaneros, became a manifest display, became manifest, anything that's manifest. <coughs> the idea is the light has spotlighted it. The idea that it has become visible, it has become observed. Fino is a verb to shine the light on something, to spotlight something. If you spotlight something, we want you to see it, okay? We put a spotlight on a flag so you can see it. We put a spotlight on on anything so you can see it. That's the point of a spotlight. And so uh, when God spotlights something, He wants it known. That's what God does. God communicates. So His chains became manifestly in Christ. In Christo. And we're very familiar with the in Christo terminology. In fact, if you've been a part of doctrinal teaching for any length of time, uh, then it doesn't take long under this mode of teaching then you will be exposed to a, a realm of doctrine called positional truth. And what that means is is that you are a believer in the church age that you are saved and you are placed in Christ. That's what happens in the moment of your salvation. It's the ministry of the Holy Spirit when He baptizes us that we are baptized in Christ. And that's the expression en Christo, all right? And normally throughout the New Testament, i say the vast majority of the times in the New Testament, the phrase en Christo has a positional truth reality. It's focused on who we are positionally in Christ, baptized into union with Him, into union with His death, His burial, His resurrection, His ascension, His session, that we are one with Christ. That's our position in the church age. It is very much a minority of uses, very rare usage, but here's one. Whereby in Christo is not a positional truth application. In this instance, it is his chains, and his chains are being manifest as being in Christo. All right? And this is not a positional truth. This is an experiential application as this is Paul's assignment in, I believe, in Ephesus or wherever the place of his imprisonment is. That this is an assignment that Jesus Christ himself has put Paul in those chains. They're not Roman chains. They're Christ chains. He is where he is, okay? In the will of God. He's where he is, assigned there by Jesus Christ as the head of the church. And so this is Uh, One of the rare, one of the few experiential applications for the expression, the idiom in Christo that we have in uh, the New Testament. All right, so um, Paul's, and and of all those terms, the the one we're going to spend some time with is the Phaneros. We're going to spend some time on what's manifest, because when God manifests something, he does so for our observation. He already knows it. He already is aware. He's, but he, when he manifests it, it's so that we can be aware of what it is that he's spotlighting. <coughs> so Paul's desmos chains became manifest. That's genomai phaneros. Became manifest. And manifestly, they are in Christ. That is what is clear. What was manifest? Not the fact of Paul's chains, but the nature of Paul's chains in Christ. It was so obvious that God was working, even the unbelievers recognized that's not normal. <laughs> all right? Praetorian guard and all the rest recognized that his chains were the chains of Christ, not Roman chains or secular chains or political chains of, uh, of whatever sort. <clears throat> all right? So we can talk about this as well. Remember, uh, I believe this was an Ephesian imprisonment uh, connected with uh, Acts chapter 19, likely before the uh, crowds were stirred up, likely before the Asiarchs got involved and, and uh, some of the other, uh, the, the uh, considerable uh, difficulty that arose, the no small riot or no small disturbance that arose in the marketplace. Um, but, but regardless of, of, of whatever the arresting agency was, it would be Rome as the sovereign political dominion there in Ephesus that uh, would have him in chains. But the praetorian recognized they weren't Roman chains. It was manifest. It was Christ that had Paul exactly where he wanted him. All right, that's the point. Christ had Paul exactly where he wanted him. And so we have the issue there. All right, does that make sense? So uh, regardless of who the arresting agency is, when I worked for the sheriff's department, we had what we called central booking, right? And the Travis County Sheriff's Department was the agency that operated the central booking facility. And it made a lot of sense. You want one agency to operate the jail, to operate the the booking facility. And then uh, it didn't matter if it was APD that brought in a, a bad guy or DPS or uh, the university campus police or the, the Austin School District police. or I mean, you got 50 agencies around here. Uh, whatever agency brought in, what, you know, sheriff's department or whatever, and the agent, an arresting agency, brought them in, and then brought them to us, and we would book them. Say, regardless of who the arresting agency is, we would be then the booking agency, we would be the confinement agency as they awaited trial or posted bond or whatever else, whatever else happened. And so that's what we're looking at here. He's in Roman chains, but it became manifest. It wasn't the Roman chains that were keeping him there, okay? It was Christ. Jesus Christ had him exactly where Jesus Christ wanted him. That's the point that's being made. I hope, I hope we're clear on that. Alright. Then we talk about what's manifest. When God, this is subpoint B, and this is really the, the biggest point of the whole verse. When God causes something to appear, that apparent thing, leaves us without excuse because god is the one that has spotlighted it god is the one that has manifested he does so for his purpose he causes it to be known and so we have these terms and they're used interchangeably they're used relatedly we have the verb phaino and a cognate verb of phanarao phaino is p-h-a-i-n-o number 5316 and closely related is, is another verb, phanerau, P H A N E R O O, number 5319. Those are the two verbs. And then we have this adjective here, phaneras. <coughs> phaneras, phaneros. Phaneros, P H A N E R O S. And the point is that God has spotlighted, all right? Sometimes it just simply means to appear, like an angel. An angel would appear. Those were the early verses that we had. <clears throat> that we had there, like in, in Matthew one twenty, in Matthew 2, an angel would appear. <clears throat> so what does that mean? That means he became visible. That means uh, normally a spirit being in the invisible realm crosses into the visible realm, and, oh, how did you get here? Okay, you know, a, a priest that thought he was all alone in the in the temple gets, uh, you know, startled when you think you're alone in a place, and then an angel pops in, and, and uh, that, yeah, that can be, you know, scary (laughs) and uh, but that's what it means to appear right something is brought into an appearance and so that which that apparent thing once it is apparent when god makes it apparent he wants us to pay attention that's the whole point god could have chosen to not be revealed (laughs) and we would never have a clue but he created a universe that demands we acknowledge who he is he created a universe that demands we acknowledge his existence, and that's when we get to romans one that's that's what the whole point there that the created universe demands his existence, and so we have these expressions <coughs> I think. We've also seen them repeatedly in our Old Testament studies, looking at the prophets, when God would send a vision to Jeremiah and, you know, he'd send him a basket of figs and he'd say, what do you see? And Jeremiah says, "Uh, well, I, I see a basket of figs. Yes, that's right. And here's what it means. And God uses that to teach. He uses that so that his servants will uh, will identify the significance of what it is that they see. That's how God communicates. He wants to be known. And we are accountable for that which appears. <coughs> all right. So Wednesday night, we got through um, the Matthew verses there and the John verses there. Um, am I correct? We got through all of Matthew and all of John. So we're ready for Acts and then Romans. And uh, we can continue on this survey, a combined passage survey for a final, and fanarao. And I think all in all, it will make the point overwhelmingly. There's, there's over 100 verses we could look at, and I put about a third of them here on, uh, on the slide, so to uh, make sure that we had uh, enough to work with. Acts 4.16 then, <clears throat> Acts 4.16, <clears throat> and I love this, this is, uh, they didn't know what to do. Verse 13, they observed the confidence of Peter and John. And that's a problem, okay? It's a problem for these religious leaders. As they observed the confidence of Peter and John and understood that they were uneducated and untrained men. All right, not true. But it is true from their perspective, from their pride and their arrogance, that they were idioti and and agramatos that they were uh, that they were unlettered. They didn't go to their school, so they were therefore unlettered, ignorant, uneducated. And if you didn't go to one of the Pharisee schools, then you're illiterate and uneducated as far as they're concerned. Uh, they were amazed, and they began to recognize them as having been with Jesus. And I love that. I love that. To me, that's, that's the key verse right there for our training ministry, for our seminary. Because uh, the men we ordain, the men we graduate, they don't get letters after their name. Alright, they're unlettered. They can't uh, graduate from the Austin Bible Church Seminary and put PhD after their name. They're unlettered. But they will be recognized as having been with Jesus. And they're going to be recognized as being men that can teach, study, and teach from the Hebrew and Greek and exegeta text and feed a flock. And that's the whole point. And so, um, seeing the man who had been healed standing with them, they had nothing to say in reply. What can you say? You know, they're not healing anybody. But Peter and John are. And so when they ordered them to leave the council, they began to confer with one another. You know, when you've got to go into executive session behind closed doors, uh, there's, there's something political happening here. Saying, What shall we do with these men? For the fact that a noteworthy miracle has taken place um, through them is apparent to all who live in Jerusalem. We cannot deny it. And this is our terminology. This is our expression here with Phaneros. The fact that God has displayed His work through these men is evident. So what can you do? If you cannot deny the facts, what do you do? You've got to make up more facts, have alternate facts, create some kind of different narrative to overcome what, uh, so they you know believe you instead of their lying eyes, or whatever else you've got to do. Okay, these are politicians and spin doctors now at work furiously, uh, you know, and they'll get CNN to join in on them, I'm sure, and all the other all the other minions will happily play along to promote the message they want to get promoted. <coughs> so that's the that's the expression there, um, but but the benefit of it is when it is manifest. When it is simply undeniable, when everybody can see it for what it is, it's like our founding fathers when they wrote the Declaration of Independence. They said, we hold these truths to be self-evident, that all men are created equal, that they are endowed by their creator. See, that's the the whole point. When it is self-evident, it becomes undeniable. Everyone will freely admit the truth of what it is, at least theoretically. (laughs) And unless they're totally sold out for the lie, then they can't. Then they have other reasons for why they can't. And that also becomes evident. Acts 7 and verse 13. <coughs> this is Stephen and Stephen in his Through the Bible sermon um, giving the survey of, of uh, Israel and their history and talking about the the Exodus, or actually the Isidus, when they entered down into Egypt. And on the second visit, it was when Joseph made himself known to his brothers, and Joseph's family was disclosed to Pharaoh. And so we have the term, it's used twice there in in that verse, of what's made known and what's disclosed. (coughs) And so they didn't know on the first visit, they came back for the second visit. And uh, that's when the uh, you can read about it in genesis when uh, when he finally says, "I am your brother joseph and and uh, he made himself known all right romans Romans one nineteen <coughs> that which is known about God, okay? Verse 18 tells us the wrath of God presently is. This is present tense, presently revealed from heaven. This is not future wrath. This is not lake of fire. This is not the destiny of the unbeliever when he dies. This is present wrath, present time. Revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who presently now in time suppress the truth in unrighteousness because... That which is known about God presently now in time is evident within them, for God made it evident to them. And this leaves them without excuse. Every every human being in the image of God, living in God's creation, is without excuse. God has made it evident to them. Humanity is designed to interact with creation and to see this testimony. Since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes, his eternal power, his divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood through what has been made, so that they are without excuse. This is what God does. God manifests himself. By the way, this is why it's the Son, God the Son, who is the agent of creation, because it's God the Son who reveals the invisible God. Always has been, always will be. It is God the Son that reveals the Father. And so God the Son is the agent of creation. The Father designs it. He, he's the architect. He creates the plan. He, he structures the blueprints. And then He hands it to His Son, the beloved workman. And the workman does the work. And Jesus Christ, the beloved and faithful Son, accomplishes the work of the Father's creation. And so when God causes something to appear, that apparent thing leaves us without excuse and that's the universe we live in that's the nature of it and so um, again this is the taking this point back to philippians that kind of launched this whole thing the fact is is that paul's chains became manifestly in christ manifestly in christ we want our christian walk to be manifest to believers and unbelievers alike and even if they're not saved especially if they're not saved they should still have the capacity to recognize that something about us is different. Something about us is, cannot be explained by their worldview, cannot be explained by their unbelieving philosophy or by their cosmos wisdom. There will be something manifest in us, in our life, in our ministry, in our giftedness, in something we're doing if we're serving Christ in this way. That we have this blessing to manifest Christ to the unbeliever, okay? It becomes a part of the common grace. It becomes a part of the, the, uh, all of the, the little things, all of the, 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 the convicting and drawing and wooing and pulling and everything God does leading up to these, these unbelievers that finally the straw that breaks the camel's back and they hear the gospel and they believe in Jesus Christ, all these other things along the way were manifestations. They were testimonies, and they're without excuse. Okay? Different things there that we can talk about as well. But that's Romans one nineteen. Romans 3.21. Romans 3.21. This one was so important, even with laryngitis and no voice, I I, I wanted to spend extra time on this before I let you go Wednesday night. So I'll try again this morning. Understand what God does. Why does He reveal things in many portions and in many ways, but in these last days does He reveal Himself in His Son? Why does He go through a progression? Why does He have law, for example? The law and the prophets. Why does He do things in steps? Romans 3.21, Apart from the law, the righteousness of God has been manifested, being witnessed, by the law and the prophets. And so just observe that. Right there, there's a tandem. God does the manifesting, and there's human beings that are witnessing. They're seeing it. They're witnessing to it. They're testifying to it. They're sharing with their other human beings what it is that they are seeing, what it is they are uh, that has been manifest to them. And so they witness. They uh, testify to what they have witnessed. And this is how, what... I think there's a great tandem between what's manifest and what we testify to. Even the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe, for there is no distinction. And so God took great pains to spell these things out. And, And from the very beginning, from Adam and Eve, he clothed them with animal skin and he's teaching them. He said that innocent will die to cover your nakedness. Blood will be shed to atone for sin. All right? Fig leaves doesn't cut it. Vegetables doesn't cut it. And everything from Cain and Abel to... I mean, all of this is designed to teach, and God is manifestly teaching all of these doctrines and all of these uh, principles, these realities, so that we will learn the the, the impact of this doctrine. Not only that, but He has to demonstrate His righteousness. And so as it gets down here, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, being justified as a gift by His grace through the redemption which is in Christ Jesus, whom God displayed publicly. Why did He do that? Why three days in a grave? Why a victorious proclamation into the depths of the earth? Why the victorious resurrection on the third day? Why the public display? Why the triumph? You know, the church age is his triumph. Why? Why does God demonstrate these things publicly? It's part of his plan. It's part of who he is. God displayed publicly as a propitiation in his blood through faith to demonstrate his righteousness, all right? For a couple of reasons. First of all, there's a time component There are humans that are bound by time and there are generations of of humans that preceded the cross and there are generations of humans that follow the cross, but God is demonstrating to all the generations that it was fulfilled in Christ at that consummation of the ages. (coughs) More than that. And so we see this here in verse 25. "...whom God displayed publicly as a propitiation in His blood through faith." to demonstrate his righteousness because in the forbearance of God, he passed over the sins previously committed. He passed over, but he passed over with cause. He passed over righteously. He was faithful and just to pass over those sins because he was looking forward to the cross. And now he's publicly displaying that all along he was righteous for doing so. Okay? Now that answers the time component. But there's also (coughs) a demonstration at the present time. So there's the sins previously committed. And then there's the demonstration, I say, of his righteousness at the present time. Now there's the now in the church, in the body of Christ, in the now. So that he would be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. All right, so now we have an additional demonstration that takes place in verse 26. And it's a demonstration, I believe, in the angelic realm as well as the human realm, the the recognition that he is the just justifier. If he's not a just justifier, we can't have true justification. See? And he demonstrates that. He demonstrates that Satan can't sit on that throne. Satan can't sit at the right hand. That Satan's not entitled to that. Only Jesus is entitled to that. And this takes us to what we're studying in Hebrews. To which of the angels did he say? To none of the angels did he say. To Jesus and Jesus alone. To Jesus Jesus and Jesus alone is publicly demonstrated to be just and the justifier. Okay? If we don't have a just justifier, none of us get justified. Does that make sense? All right. And so uh, in order to be justified, we need a just justifier. And he has demonstrated Jesus to be the just justifier. And that's an eternal display. That's an eternal display through us now, through the body of Christ, presently in the now, in the body of Christ, in the church age. He is just and the justifier of the one who has faith in in Jesus. And so where is the boasting? It is excluded. By what kind of law of works? No, by a law of faith. And so the whole reason, this whole system of grace through faith is to illustrate that it's all, it's all God, not us. Okay? Anyway, there's, that's beyond what we need to get into this morning. But observe, as you look at this text, beyond the doctrine of redemption and justification and everything else that goes into that, Understand, the terms in this chapter point out God is displaying these things. He is showing these things. He is is manifesting these things. He is laying His case out in court. These things are entered into evidence, right? And so they're a part of the entire plan. And there's more. Oh, there's a lot more. All right. Uh, Still in Romans... Romans 7.13. <clears throat> Romans 7.13. Therefore, did that which is good become a cause of death for me? May it never be. Talking about the law. Why the law then? And how, you know, if you're under the law and it says thou shalt not covet, and it just provokes you to covet more and more, uh, then then what good is it? Okay? It's actually very good. Law spotlights the the incredible sinfulness of sin and, and uh, <clears throat> aspects there. Um, so did that which was good become a cause of death for me? May it never be. Rather, it was sin in order that it might be shown to be sin. So there's a demonstration at work. There's proof being laid before men and angels and everyone alike. Okay? Well, who needs Proof. God, evidently, it's a big deal to him because he keeps doing this over and over again. Um, proving through Gentiles, through Jews, through the body of Christ, through the millennial saints, through the fullness of time saints, to, the, uh, to humans and angels alike. All of these things are being demonstrated. That it might be shown to be sin by affecting my death through that which is good so that through the commandment, sin would become utterly sinful. And so it's displayed as such. In many respects, mosaic law is that demonstration of the exceedingly sinfulness of sin. That's Romans seven thirteen. How about Romans sixteen <clears> twenty <throat> six? Another display. <clears throat> Romans sixteen twenty five and twenty six. Really, the whole conclusion here to the book of Romans. "...to him who is able to establish you according to my gospel and the preaching of Jesus Christ, according to the revelation of the mystery, which has been kept secret for long ages past, but now is manifested." All right? And so when God makes it manifest, we're accountable. We are the recipients. uh, The church is the recipient of mystery doctrine, and we're accountable to live that out. "...but now is manifested." And by the scriptures of the prophets, according to the commandment of the eternal God, has been made known to all the nations, leading to obedience of faith. To the only wise God, through Jesus Christ, be the glory forever. Amen. So we got the benediction of Romans right there. But again, the point's being made. God kept the, the mystery doctrine mystery. Kept the church unrevealed. No one in the Old Testament knew anything about the body of Christ, the church, the bride. All right? None of that. Maybe a little clues, but only clues with hindsight looking back, okay? See one next hour in Hebrews, because Hebrews, we're going to talk about the bride of Christ and the companion, how Jesus was anointed with the oil of joy above his companions and how the Old Testament had um, nary a thing to say about the bride of Christ other than perhaps Psalm 45 about the queen. But even that's mystery until the church unfolds it in the New Testament. We'll see that as well. All right, but when it's manifested, it's made known, and we are accountable, and that's the point there in Romans sixteen twenty six. How about First Corinthians three thirteen? Judgment seat of Christ. Each man's work will become evident when we stand before the judgment seat of Christ. It's all laid out there. It is all on public display, and the fire is going to hit it. And whatever excuses we used to have as sinners, uh, we're not going to be making anymore because uh, it's all, we're going to be righteous by then, <laughs> okay? By the time uh, this 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 carnality we have in our flesh uh, is not coming with us when we go to heaven to stand before the beam of seat of Christ. And so we will be absolutely like-minded when that fire strikes. And all that wood hand stubble, we're going to be happy to see it go up in smoke. And it will become evident. The day will show it. Because it is to be revealed with fire. The fire itself will test the quality of each man's work. And that's what we have to look forward to. What a joy. I'm looking forward to it. Okay? Oh, that it were today. (coughs) Chapter 4 and verse 5. Therefore do not go on passing judgment before the time, but wait until the Lord comes, who will both bring to light the things hidden in the darkness, that's the Fanarao terminology, and disclose the motives of men's hearts, and then each man's praise will come to him from God. I think that verse helps to explain, in larger respect, what makes the difference between gold, silver, and precious stones on the one hand, and wood, hay, and straw on the other hand. It comes down to the motivation of your heart. Why did you do what you did? And it may be that two believers did exactly the same thing. They they did exactly the same work. They did exactly the same. Whatever, the deed, the external deed is identical. But one man did whatever it is, you know? Fed them, you know, served in a soup kitchen or fed the homeless or, or whatever they did. And one person did it for the glory of Jesus Christ under the filling of the Holy Spirit and it's, wood, it's gold, silver, precious stones. And somebody else did the exact same thing, but with the wrong motivation. And so the motives of the heart are going to be disclosed and the things hidden will be brought into the light. And then each man's praise will come to him from God. The criteria between divine good production and human good production comes down to the attitude comes down to the, the motivation, the heart motivation, spirituality versus carnality. All right, so that's First uh, that's Corinthians four and verse five. First Corinthians 11:19. more disclosures. <coughs> Anytime there's a church fight, anytime there's a split, a schism, and a group of people uh, storm out all hopping mad or whatever, or they fire the pastor or whatever else happens, when it happens, God uses that. Not to say it's a good thing, but it works together for good. He says, I hear that there are schisms, that when you come together, it's not for the better, but for the worse. That's that verse I pray about a lot. I want our assembly today to be for the better and not for the worse. I pray that in our morning prayer meeting. For in the first place, when you come together as a church, I hear that schisms, divisions exist among you. And in part, I believe it. For there must also be, must also be, it's a have to in the plan of God, factions among you. So that those who are docimazo approved may become, fanaros, evident among you. God does the approval, but the manifestation of that approval is recognized by one another. You and I recognize who the approved saints are, who the approved workmen are. God's workmen need not to be ashamed, uh, and we should recognize that. That should be manifest to each one of us. Who is God's not ashamed workman? Approved unto God. And so you see it there. All right. (coughs) And sometimes, uh, the ones you don't expect <laughs> stay faithful and sometimes the ones you do expect would have stayed faithful end up being the <coughs> the ringleaders of the whole the whole revolt the whole conspiracy or what have you <coughs> All right Lord 7 minutes we're going to make it 7 minutes <clears throat> All right so that's uh, 1 Corinthians eleven, fourteen twenty-five. 14, <clears throat> Ah, yeah. This, um, we don't have this anymore, but in the early church, when they had the gift of prophecy, you can imagine, um, <laughs> you know, today when a visitor comes in, we don't know who they are. But imagine being a visitor in a first century church and the greeter at the door it happens to be a prophet or a prophetess from that local church. <coughs> and so uh, when the uh, unbeliever comes in or an ungifted man enters, he's convicted by all, he's called to account by all. The secrets of his heart are disclosed so that he will fall on his face and worship God declaring that God is certainly among you. Can you imagine? Okay? I'm actually kind of fond of the church age in which we live, instead of uh, that. But, you know, be that as it may. And uh, that's, how it, that's how it operated in the early church. And uh, there it was. All right. <coughs> 2 Corinthians 2.14. Remember, this is what God does. This is what God does through us. If you and I are not aware the fact that our God is a communicator, I mean, we ought to know that just from creation. He, his invisible attributes are clearly seen. He's a God of power. He's a God of etern- eternality. He's a God of majesty. He's a God of glory. But He's also a communicator. He shows things. He teaches things. Second Corinthians 2 Corinthians 2.14 Thanks be to God who always leads us in triumph in Christ and manifests through us The sweet aroma of the knowledge of Him in every place. We are His tools in this regard. God is manifesting His own aroma, but He's using us. Right? We're the air freshener in His car. (laughs) Hanging from His rearview mirror. Okay? And so, mmm, smells like God. Okay? Smells like Christ. Now, He's got a visible testimony He's got an audible testimony, and he's got a, a, uh, a, an olfactory testimony, the, the sense of smell, all right? And we should be that. We should reflect the image of Christ. We should reflect that our, our words should reflect the words of Christ. Our smell should reflect the aroma of Christ. This passage speaks of aroma. And so through us, for we are a fragrance of Christ to God, among those who are being saved and among those who are perishing. So there's the being saved ones, that's us, and then there's the being perishing ones. Those are the unbelievers, all right? And, uh, and, and, and so we, we stand out or we smell out. We smell differently. And in fact, among that crowd, it doesn't smell too good, as it says. So we are a fragrance. To the one, an aroma from death to death. To another, an aroma from life to life. And who is adequate for these things? Okay? It's a fun chapter. I love this chapter. And so we get a chance to, uh, to smell the smell of Christ. And that's, that's the aroma we should be giving off. And it should be a pleasant smell among us. We should love the smell of us because it's the smell of Christ. And if, if, uh, if, if, if it stinks in the nostrils of the unbeliever, well, all right, let's make a stink. So, so far as we want them to identify that there's something different. It has to be manifested. That's what happened. For the praetorian guard and for all the rest, it was manifest that Paul's chains were in Christ. And they had a big clue because of that greater progress of the gospel, those chains are in Christ. God manifests that through Paul's circumstances. And that's what we're studying here this morning. All right. <clears throat> so we can appreciate that also. Um, that's 214.33. Um, you are our letter written in our hearts, known and read by all men, being manifested that you are a letter of Christ cared for by us, written not with ink, but with the Spirit of the living God, not on tablets of stone, but on tablets of human and so there's a manifestation there when the word of God is being ministered, and Paul um, has the the testimony there. His flock is manifested as having been ministered to by the apostle Paul. That uh, his fingerprints, his handwriting, is all over those believers. See, I know that my handwriting is all over you guys, and that's uh, that's just the, the way it works. Okay, because God uh, God works in that way, and vice versa. Your handwriting is all over me as well, that sanctified graffiti in uh, <laughs> in those things. All right, uh, chapter 4, verse 10 and verse 11. <clears throat> and then chapter 5, verse 10 and verse 11. How did that happen? All right persecuted but not forsaken, struck down but not destroyed, always caring about in the body the dying of Jesus so that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our body. You want to manifest the life of Jesus? You better be willing to suffer. An unbeliever is going to watch you suffer and say, wow, why is he doing that? For we who live are constantly being delivered over to death for Jesus' sake so that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our mortal flesh. Well, no, we don't want to preach that. That's come on, we're <clears throat> martyrdom, that's for that's for foreigners, that's for missionaries, that's for other countries. We're we're Americans. We we we're not designed for that. We we uh, we've got it made. We got the good life here. That's quit preaching that. Come on, Pastor. Hey, it could be coming here. It could be coming here sooner than we think. All right. We better be ready. All right, well, this is where we'll pick up Wednesday night, Lord willing rapture pending. Father, thank You for this morning. Thank You for Your grace. Thank You for supplying a voice. Pray that You supply it one more hour. Uh, We thank You for being faithful, Father. We thank You in Jesus Christ's name. Amen.